Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh, new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke, patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, my friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with a Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God and to, to stir within all of us a greater heart after God, just like David, the great man after his own heart. Well, we are in yet another message. I have, I hope you've been blessed by this series in Luke called the Know Your Faith series. And if you have been, please let me know uh, for my own encouragement and the encouragement of my wife. We would really uh, be blessed by your feedback. This is now part uh, 43, I believe it is, 40, I'm sorry, it's either 42 or 43. I've lost track a little bit. And today we are in Luke chapter 7, and we are going to go through verses 1 through, um, let's see, verses 1 through 10. And the title of the message today is Jesus is the Friend of Sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. That is what we're going to see here in this passage. It's just an amazing passage as we get ready to unpack it. But I feel led to say to you at the outset that as you will see Jesus ministering to a centurion and his servant, that Jesus is going to minister to you in your situation as well, whether it is forgiveness of sin. And my friend, I want to tell you that there is no sin that you have committed that the Lord is not willing to forgive and that he is unable to forgive. The Lord Jesus is willing to forgive every one of your sins, and he is the only one in existence that has the power and the willingness to forgive sins of all people, of all people. He is the Messiah, and there is salvation uh, in no other name. Under all of heaven, there is no other name given to men by which we must be saved. That's Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Only Jesus died for sin. Only he died on the cross and said beforehand that he would draw all men to himself, all men and women and children, by, by willingly sacrificing his life to atone for our sins, that is to cover our sins, and in that one act of covering our sins to reconcile us to the Father and thus giving us a brand new life, forgiveness of sins, and even eternal life. And he did that 
because he was also raised from the dead, and he was raised from the dead because he was sinless. And in that resurrection, he gives us resurrection as well, first spiritually, and then ultimately when he returns to this earth, he is going to raise our bodies to be imperishable, spiritual bodies just like his, and and that redemption will continue throughout eternity. This is, in a sense, this is, not in a sense, this is effectively the message of the gospel. The gospel is good news that God is willing to forgive men, women, and children of their sins and reconcile us to himself. Now, as we're also going to see that Jesus is able, he is the only one that is able to raise the dead, to heal the sick. He is the one who can bring a financial miracle, a financial breakthrough. There's nothing that is that he is unable to do when we come to him in faith, looking to him and trusting him to meet those needs and in so doing to glorify his name. That is, in a sense, that's, that is an effect of uh, the, the whole purpose for this message. Now, before we get into Luke chapter 7, let's pray because we want to convey to the Holy Spirit our utter dependence upon him. I want to convey that uh, to him so that I can understand his word and preach his word. And then you want to do that as well so that you can understand his word and be equipped to minister in the fruit and in the power of the Holy Spirit to others. So let's agree in prayer. Father, be glorified. Uh, Even before that, we just say, hallowed be your name, that you are with us, that you are uh, listening to us, that you are a prayer-answering, covenant-keeping, miracle-working God. Be exalted in this message, Lord Jesus. Manifest your presence to us. Reveal your presence to us. And Holy Spirit, you, you alone are the master teacher. And we're asking that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would move powerfully, that you would give us wisdom and understanding and discernment as we study your word and let it change us and transform us forevermore. And may we produce present and eternal fruit for the glory of the Father and of the Son. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. Get ready, my friends, for the Lord to meet needs in a fresh, powerful way as he seeks to glorify his own name. Now, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, and speaking of Jesus, when he had completed all his discourse, that is, all his teaching in the hearing of the people, and of course Luke is referring to all that we uh, went through in, in, he's referring to Luke chapter 6, and we've already covered that. Well, then he went to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a town right on the Sea of Galilee, and that is where Jesus would set up his headquarters, if you will. That's that's where he lived. He lived um, in uh, Peter's home with Peter's family and with his mother. 
and um, or actually with his mother-in-law. And this is where Jesus uh, did most of his ministry from. It's a beautiful spot. I've been there. I've been to the um, the replica of the home, and only a few steps is the beautiful, peaceful Sea of Galilee. So he returned to Capernaum. Well, verse 2, Luke tells us, and a centurion's slave or servant who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. But when he heard about Jesus, verse 3, he sent some Jewish elders asking him, that is Jesus, to come and save the life of his slave. Verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also, verse 8, am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I Say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Verse 9, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave or the servant in good health. Now, let us pack, unpack this passage. This passage is very important in the Gospel of Luke for this reason, because first it marks a, a turning point, a pivotal point in the progress of the word of the Lord from its Jewish context to the Gentile world. Thus far in Luke chapter 7, the focus has been on the Jewish people. And, and that's, that's appropriate, as it should be. The gospel is to go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. Now, the, the Jews' appreciation of God-fearing Gentiles, and in this particular case, the centurion, we're going to find is an important theme throughout the, the rest of uh, the Gospel of Luke, which was written in large measure to show how the Christian faith was compatible with the Jewish faith and was the fulfillment of it, and that the Gospel itself was intentionally sent both to the Jew and to the Gentile. And we're going to see, starting with this, uh, that Jesus intentionally ministered to the Gentiles 
And he did so because he was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies that God wanted the good news of his salvation to go throughout the entire world, not just the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. In fact, in Isaiah 42, verse 6, Isaiah uh, chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, listen to this. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you, speaking of the Messiah, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. The Hebrew word nations is goyim, which refers to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And now for every single believer in Jesus, we are to, are to work together with him to continue, again, partnering with him to fulfill that promise to the Gentiles. And that is what this broadcast is all about. It is the gospel going out primarily. There are probably fairly uh, relatively few Jewish people listening uh, to this broadcast. I hope there are actually more um, because the Lord wants to give you his eternal life. But <clears throat> the, predominantly, this message is going out to those who live in Africa. It reaches up into Europe and it reaches all of Latin America, the Caribbean, Mexico, and even into North America, uh, which includes the United States and Canada. I'm not sure if it reaches up into Greenland or Iceland. That's something that I have to find out about. But the point is here that at this juncture in Luke, Luke is focused on revealing to his Gentile leaders, uh, readers that the gospel is for them as well as to the Jews. Now, at the same time, we can see that Jews, Jesus compares the Gentiles' faith more favorably with that uh, than that of the Jews, which serves Luke's desire to justify the prominence of Gentiles in the early church. Again, remember also that Luke is writing to a Gentile government official, and then beyond that, primarily to Gentile believers in Jesus. There's one other thought I want to add. Luke is, is, is an, he's a theologian and he's an evangelist. And so yet another purpose for him writing this is to show the unsaved Gentiles that healing and salvation can be found in Jesus alone. Oh, there are many, many other things that I, I wish I had time to mention as well. But uh, for now, it's important just for us to be able to see this, that the centurion would not have believed that he could have access to Jesus. That's why he sent uh, members of the local Jewish leaders on his behalf. Now, Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite commentators, himself a pastor and a scholar, uh, says this about the centurion. He says, we are impressed 
not only with this man's great love, that is his great love for his servant, but also his great humility. Imagine a Roman officer telling a poor Jewish rabbi that he was unworthy to have this rabbi, Jesus, enter his house. You see, he says, the Romans were not known for displaying humility, especially before their Jewish subjects. You see, that will give us much greater insight into this text. Again, let's go back to verse 2 and notice that this, this centurion who was, was like a captain of the Roman army and in a very important place, Capernaum was, was the center of a major trade route uh, in the land of Israel and throughout the Middle East. So it was a, a fairly wealthy area as a result. And uh, on, the Roman government would only send their best to occupy this area. And yet we, we learn something about this man. Now, the fact that he built the synagogue may be an indication that he is what was called a God-fearer. That is, he was a convert to Judaism, but only to the point where he would not have allowed himself to be circumcised. So he was welcome to, he probably went to the synagogue that he built and listened to the Old Testament. He might have known about the coming of the Messiah. He might have had an expectation of the coming of the Messiah. And then he hears all of these testimonies of Jesus preaching and casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead. And when he heard that, faith arose in his heart and his love for this lowly servant, this lowly slave, just exploded to his heart and moving past the cultural uh, the cultural rules, he reached out to these Jewish elders who the Jews considered the Gentiles unclean and, and petitioned them to go get Jesus to come and, and heal this servant. Well, let's look at it again in verse 2. And a centurion slave, notice this, who was highly regarded by him. That tells us something about the character of this man of high regard, high stature. He was sick and about to die. The Greek reading means that he was on the verge of death. But when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And yet, you see, friends, he, this was awkward for him. A, he didn't believe, he wasn't so sure that Jesus would pay any attention to him. And B, by having Jesus come into his house, that was going against everything that the Jewish religious leaders would allow. They would have seen that as breaking their, their own rules, not the scripture's rules. And it would have meant that the Jewish man, the rabbi coming in, would have, be, would have been unclean. It, was, it would have been a scandal. And so that's why he sent, uh, the, that's another reason why he sent the Jewish elders 
to come and save the life of his slave. Well, verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. I think it's interesting, if I'm reading this accurately, that they were more concerned about what the man had done for them than they were about the man's slave being healed. In other words, they appealed to Jesus because, not because of the the near death of the centurion slave, but because of what the man had done for the nation of Israel. Again, notice what he says, or what they say, for he loves our nation, number one, and number two is he who built us our synagogue. Now, Jesus doesn't respond to that at all, but he just started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further. He's, he, he assumed that this was, was bothersome to Jesus, that it troubled him, that it was, it was an inconvenience to him. And he would find out that that was not the case. Why? Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that should be good and encouraging news to you, beloved, because he wants to reveal himself to you as your friend, the greatest friend you could ever have. Lord, do not trouble yourself further. And then it's amazing. What a contrast. The Jewish elders said he's worthy, and he says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. It shows the humility. But just say the word. Well, this is amazing and my servant will be healed. And he explains why he believed that. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this. And he does it. Verse 9, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. That oh, Jesus marveled. The, the Gospels tell us he marveled two times. This In this particular case, he marveled in a good way and, and highly complimented the centurion. But in another case, he marveled at the unbelief of the Jews against him. In other words, it, it was shocking to him in a sense. So he says, I say to you, not even in Israel, which had the word of God, have I found such great faith. And here's a man that didn't have the word of God. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, how surprised they must have been when they found the slave in good health. 
What a stunning story. But you see, my friends, Jesus is still ministering to people. That is to those who embrace him, those who need him, those who yearn for him, those who will humble themselves before him. Just amazing that, again, if, if he had entered the centurion's home, the centurion would have had to have extend hospitality to him. But then that would have given Jesus' enemies more cause to attack him. That was another reason. But mostly it was the centurion just not seeing himself as worthy before the Lord. And in reality, my friend, every human being, you who are listening to this broadcast, you have been created by God himself in his image and according to his likeness with great dignity and worth. But there is a major problem. And it this problem reveals all of the corruption throughout the world. And that is sin. When we sin against God, we no longer act like him, but we act as those who are alienated from him. And so the father sent the son into the world to redeem the entire world. That is the ministry of Jesus. It was the ministry of Jesus on this earth, and it's the ministry of Jesus in heaven as well. He has not stopped ministering. However, he chooses to use men and women and even children just like me. That's the reason that I'm here bringing this broadcast to you, to let you know that just as he changed and transformed my life by his grace through his forgiveness, he is willing to do the same for you. Just as he answers my prayers, he is willing to do the same for you. And so I want to pray right now, and I'd like you to join me in prayer. I'm going to pray first of all for those who have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And I want you to pray with me. If you're ready to give your life to him, these words, pray with me these words, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need a brand new start in life. I don't want to live this life anymore for myself. I want to live for you. And I ask you for your grace and your mercy, Lord Jesus. Come and live your life in me, and I will live for you, and I will serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have heard my prayer, forgiven my sin, made me your own, and given me eternal life. And I will live for you and I will serve you all the days of my life. Now, Father, for everyone that prayed that prayer, protect them from the powers of darkness and from the evil people that would try to bring them back into the world in the name of Jesus. 
And then we also pray, Lord Jesus, as I said at the outset of this broadcast, that you would meet needs mightily and supernaturally to glorify your name. Bring forth your healing power to those that are crying out to you for healing. Bring deliverance from those for those who are demon-possessed or demon-oppressed. And Lord, bring financial provision and miracles in the holy name of Jesus. Reconcile marriages, reconcile children to their parents. Be glorified in doing exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine according to your power that mightily works within us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen and amen. Until next week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after him in every way.